I'm close to the end of Hunters, the Amazon series of uh, on Nazi hunters, and it's quite good. It uh, brings to mind a conversation I had with an older Jewish writer of my acquaintance uh, who made a very insightful, although vicious, comment about something I had written and showed him, but (laughs) is... I can't stop thinking about it with this show because it's quite good. Uh, it's it's good in a lot of ways, but uh, but for me, this stuff sticks out. The what he was saying of a uh, like the Holocaust grandparent, like as a trope. I'm talking about. So far, I've talked about biblical tropes and stuff between the Samuel saga and Genesis, which are numerous and uh, phenomenal. Uh, But this is a more modern trope. And, you know, I mean, there, there is that certain voice, the dialogue, the little, like, Ah, Bubba, the, you know, oi, you are so precious, you know, and they have to show you, you know, the tattoo, of course. Uh, Like, obviously they have to because that's part of doing a story like this and it, you know, signals that to the audience, but still, uh, the reason that I'm starting another of these is a line later in the show as they've talked a few times about the Nazi doctors and the horrors of uh, the concentration camps and people still don't say they really like we're very, very close to it now. Uh, this might even finally be the week. But Al Pacino talking about, you know, them playing these games. They do this whole elaborate chess thing, which is a little extravagant, but it is demonstrative of the thing that They say this thing about how, like, saying that there was this one Nazi who was pulling all the teeth out of a child's mouth just for fun, some shit like this. And I had to stop the show. And with the magic of this technology, we have open another window, start talking. And possibly you are listening to it now, if you are so inclined. Uh, 
a lot of people just don't even know. They, uh, they think that it's all just at the southern border or, you know, oh, they put them in cages. Oh, that's, that's really sad and unfortunate. Well, you know, they're not really my kids. It's really their parents' fault, honestly, for bringing them here. They should have known better. Uh, and then people, you know, sneer and change the channel. And that's as much as a lot of people think about it all. But the people who tore children away from their parents have not been treating them any better where we cannot see them than what we have seen. And speaking of teeth and mouths and stuff, I heard that in the, and, and I need to find, uh, full disclosure, I need to find the actual article uh, about this because I did not have the emotional stamina to really dive into that when I heard about this. But uh, I heard about one of the thing one of, in a report about the Tacoma icebox, uh, maybe actually the third worst thing that I heard and need to see in print to confirm, but I've seen enough of the other stuff to know that this, it, I heard that they're putting screws and rocks into the kids' food. I think the second worst thing that I heard, and some of this stuff blends together because there people think it's all just at the southern border. They really do. Uh, but I think this was from the same facility. The second worst thing that I heard about from this report uh, was of the, the sexual molestation of a toddler and, uh, the first, the most evil, even above both of those, each of which obviously is something done by like the, that is, that maybe you don't formally renounce your humanity at some point, but that is an inhuman thing to do. Both of those things. Uh, but the thing that I think really, really is the most twisted thing from that report, and the next thing I'm going to tell you is from one that I've read in detail and I 
I can say more about the psychological traumas being inflicted uh, in these places that in this report that I have only heard a summary of, it said that they are taking notes from the psychiatrists uh, that are mandated to see these stolen children and that they're using the notes from the mandated therapy sessions uh, against these children in court as proof that they are dangerous or deranged. They're taking things that were told in confidence in that context and weaponizing them against people, uh, against children. Uh, this whole thing, all of it, uh, people just don't see yet. They really just don't. Uh, and it is shocking and it disgusts me enormously. Uh, it's revolting. And one of the reports that I have seen uh, it talks about 17 of the facilities, I believe, in a number of states. And there have been, there are at least two in every one of the 50 states, uh, at least. And that was a report from quite a while ago. And of course, uh, there is so little oversight or accountability that just like the uh, the deadly virus, which is all around us now, uh, it is really not possible to know where all of them are or what kind of sickness is in all of them. But... In this one report that came out in September of 2019, but based on observations made from the previous summer, uh, it talks about a number of the different facilities and it uses very clinical language, but, uh, but it's describing uh, what is pretty clearly uh, the they're force feeding psychotropic drugs to children and they're doing that because uh they've inflicted such tortures on these children that there are nine-year-olds attempting suicide there are at the one in rhode island i heard about uh, something out of a fucking horror movie. Apparently, along with, you know, the hunger strikes going on now, stuff like that, uh, that someone 
sewed his lips together with wire because they were starving him. I have not seen any credible uh, details on that one, and it does sound like something from a horror movie, but so does tearing all the teeth out of a child's mouth uh, because it amuses them. People just don't want to think about, they can't understand this, and and they really can't, I don't think. Uh, and when the virus hits in the next couple days, it's going to be the same thing. It might actually happen right alongside each other. I'm saying this out loud to have it on record, I guess, uh, but I feel like I know this uh, is coming. Uh, it might even be on the same goddamn day. I have been writing all this biblical stuff, you know, for ages, and since I was 13, really working on uh, trying to do something that is accessible, both if you're familiar with, you know, high fantasy and science fiction, like The Lord of the Rings, uh, for one, uh, rich, you know, fantasy world, uh, or if you have more familiarity with or have been brought up in an environment with uh, orthodox religious elements uh, and are familiar with this literature much more intimately, I'm writing this for both of you. Uh, what I'm doing in the stuff I'm writing is creating a bridge, really, uh, between these different ways that you can come at these stories from, you know, a secular, skeptical, or literal uh, sense in the way that I'm doing this in the form of literary fiction but the nature of the stories I'm telling and the way that I'm doing it uh, is very much in the spirit of the Midrashim, which if you uh, are not familiar with that term, uh, that is basically what uh, I've been saying and it really is uh, biblical fan fiction, which is to say that, uh, that these are stories which have been written after the fact or elaborate upon uh, these earlier and well-known stories. Really, some of what I'm doing this whole podcast, this whole exercise, uh, is about Midrashim, because uh, 
that's what I'm writing. Uh, but, and it all blends together, you know. Um, but also there are things going on around us right now that people just are not able to process or imagine and whatever this is in me that inspires me and moves me to write what I do. Uh, and of course, takeaways uh, from some experiences which I'm not going to get into because I'm already rushing headlong through a number of things right now. And it's most important to circle back to the camps because just as much as hunters is a lot of fun and is timely, you know, and all that stuff. And of course, uh, the only thing that is a more acceptable target than a Nazi is a Nazi zombie. So as many of you know, uh, probably on uh, one side of that bridge rather than the other. I anticipate this uh, podcast eventually being listened to by people coming at this from some vastly different perspectives and upbringings. And I want to address things which uh, it's a big old thing I'm doing here. <laughs> and uh, some of the same stuff is in the Samuel saga. Uh, these things that you aren't largely encouraged to read or which people know one or two stories of, but not in any meaningful detail, like David and Goliath, uh, perhaps being a supreme example of that. Uh, but also in a podcast I did last night, I've gotten into... Uh, because this is a suddenly apocalyptic time that we're in. It seems like a uh, fine time to get into uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction God rains down upon uh, those places back in Genesis chapter 19, specifically, you know, the very end of it and the fact that nobody knows what happened after Lot's wife turns into a pillar of salt. They strictly avoid that story too. <laughs> but Samuel is interesting in that respect because it doesn't avoid uh, some of these hard and gray areas with David or certainly with Saul and with these others and the concept that I wanted to introduce actually in the very first episode of this series 
by going to chapter 15 of, uh, and if you happen to be quarantined, uh, if you're listening to this in quarantine from a hotel or motel room, uh, please reach into your bedside drawer if you want to follow along. Uh, once everybody is on the page, uh, this would be uh, chapter 15, first book of Samuel. Uh, and I wanted to explain the concept of putting, uh, to put them under the ban is the way that they put it, the phrasing here. Uh, and this is a practice in warfare of uh, that time and place, you know, uh, which is uh, the ban or harem uh, is a injunction to kill everything, not just the enemy soldiers, but all of their women and children and livestock and everything. And part of the discussion in this chapter is over the fact that Samuel uh, has told Saul that God has told him that you should kill every, literally everything of Amalek. Uh, and some of the, the drama and conflict here, uh, comes from, as Samuel is saying, uh, what is this, uh, bleeding the, what is this sound of sheep in my ears and the sound of cattle that I hear, which, you know, like, why isn't everything dead? And there are these bloody little genocidal wars that happen in this time. And Samuel doesn't shy away from that. Uh, it's very much a saga about war and about kings uh, in the nature of kingship and leadership. Uh, and it's magnificent narrative poetry. Uh, all these ums and ahs. Uh, <laughs> but it's just something that people can't understand or comprehend. Uh, this cartoonish idea of just like tearing all the teeth out of a child's mouth and thinking that that is fun. Or uh, saying... I want you to bring me, uh, as Saul in chapter 18 says to David, uh, I want you to bring me a hundred Philistine foreskins, which uh, David, of course, because David comes back with 200. Apparently, uh, nobody has probably ever said this in a church or synagogue or anything, but uh, David comes back with a giant bag of dicks. 
of uncircumcised dicks, uh, these war trophies that Saul demands, this grisly, dangerous thing uh, that is just part of warfare in that time. And, uh, and people just, you know, have this like, oh, ha ha, you know, uh, six million something and something, but it's just a number. It's, it's just an estimate. People don't really know. And this is, uh, year of the census, uh, we're here and we have an accounting to make. There is accounting of the dead that we are approaching and nobody recognizes exactly how bad this is going to be and this is the reason why all of us are staying inside and doing all these things when it's just quiet outside and it seems like nothing's going on this same i've been feeling the same spooky silence about the other thing uh this whole time but i think this boil is about to pop and they might There's an alarm. I was going to make dinner. I got, uh, speaking of supplying on things, I picked up some brisket from the store and a couple things of mashed potatoes, both of which are really good and easy to just put together and zap in the microwave. It's not terribly elegant, but uh, fuck it. I'm hungry and it's good. And these atrocities are going to be in the light soon enough. And we're just going to see exactly how everybody processes it. I see it now. I see these things now, but... Man, people thought that we were already getting blindsided with the politics and then this, uh, the COVID-19, but there is another plague, uh, another uh, enslavement, torture, this, this thing that seems so unspeakable and unthinkable in this day and age but uh, I'm going to get dinner and I'm going to finish this episode of Hunters. And before I do, I'm going to publish this thing and make it uh, on record. It is now 7.08 p.m., Saturday, March 21st. Uh, the... Quarantine went into effect four days ago now. St. Patrick's Day, easy to remember. Uh, and in the history books, this is going to be a very 
very important month 